This is a Federal News Network podcast. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration in recent months has inked agreements with three private companies, extending the agency's own capabilities to explore and map the deepest parts of the ocean. Joining me with the whys and hows, NOAA Deputy Administrator Tim Gallaudet. Dr. Gallaudet, good to have you on. Great to be here, Tom. Thank you. So what is NOAA trying to do here? You've uh, One of them is Paul Allen's company, the former Paul Allen's company, and uh, some people that are, have pretty heavy chops in doing ocean exploration, something NOAA also has. Tell us the goal of these agreements. Absolutely, Tom. Well, you're right. These agreements we formed are with uh, companies and, and organizations that do have pretty deep pockets and incredible ocean exploration capabilities. And the motivation behind this stemmed from a White House summit in November last year directed at developing ocean science and technology partnerships. And at this summit, we talked with the White House science advisor, Dr. Kelvin Drogmeyer, about ways we might be able to expand our capability to map and explore the ocean using creative and innovative partnerships. And what we have with these four agreements, including Paul Allen's Vulcan Company, are uh, access to their ships, their technologies, uh, that's going to allow our scientists to do a lot more than what we would with our assets uh, only. And so the intent was to meet the directive of a presidential memorandum signed just after this summit to map and explore our exclusive economic zone by 2030. Got it. So I guess my question is, I didn't realize that all of the, at least the economic zone of the United States would not have been mapped at this point yet, but it's not? Exactly. The less than 50% has been mapped to modern standards. And incredibly, if you just look at the ocean volume, only about 5 to 10% of the volume of the oceans in the world have been explored. So there's a lot out there we don't know about. And these organizations are going to allow us to cover more territory, cover more ocean, and uh, learn about our ocean's influence on the planet, on climate, on the potential contributions our oceans can make towards critical minerals, pharmaceuticals, and energy. And of course, you are a retired rear admiral in the Navy. Could this work also benefit naval operations at some point? Absolutely. The data we collect is vital to national security. It supports not only safe navigation, you know, knowing what the seafloor is like, allow our ships and submarines and our Navy to operate safely. But it's also information about the water column that our Navy uses in training for anti-submarine warfare operations and actual operations, such as the recent exercise the Navy conducted up in the Arctic Ocean called ISEX. And one of the companies involved, too, you mentioned Paul Allen's company called Vulcan. There's also Victor Vescovo's company, Caladan. And Victor Vascovo, if I understand it, is the gentleman who went to the deepest part of the ocean in some kind of an enclosure using a former NOAA and former Navy ship as the base of operations. And that's something I guess no one else has done? That's correct. Uh, what's unique about Victor is he was able to dive in the five deepest trenches of the world's oceans. And for the deepest trench, the Challenger Deep near the Marianas Islands, he was able to set the depth record as well as the duration record for diving in that trench. It had been dove in twice before, uh, one in 1960 and then later and a few years ago, And but he was able to set the duration record using human-operated vehicle, they call it, or a deep submersible, and find some very interesting things that had not been discovered, like new species, new geologic features, and information, as I told you, is important for NOAA and uh, part of our mission to archive as well as disseminate to important users in the government and to the public. 
We're speaking with retired Navy Rear Admiral Tim Gallaudet, now Deputy Administrator of NOAA. And how do these agreements work? Are they CRADAs? Are they contracts? Are they grants? Give us a sense of what the arrangement looks like from a federal operations standpoint. Absolutely. Well, for the companies you mentioned, there are memorandums of understanding. And so they're fairly broad, and they really allow us to partner formally together, provide uh, our scientists to go on board their ships and exchange information about the areas we explore and map, as well as uh, information about the technologies we develop, whether independently or jointly. And what about them coming on to NOAA ships? Is that also possible? Absolutely. Uh, In fact, uh, we're seeking ways to have those kind of exchanges. Uh, Of course, during the current situation, it's a little more challenging because the 16 NOAA ships we have are pier side. They're not operating. Uh, They plan to get underway around June 1st, depending upon um, local uh, lifting of restrictions due to the COVID pandemic. However, the demonstration of the power of these partnerships is underway today. Victor Vescovo's company, Caladan Oceanic, is mapping and surveying in the Pacific uh, right at this moment, and they're mapping some of NOAA's requirements that were dictated in this uh, presidential memorandum. So here we have a great demonstration of the value of these partnerships. He's been able to operate within current CDC restrictions out of Guam, and so that's just a really win-win for us because he's collecting valuable information in our exclusive economic zone. Interesting. And is there a money exchange? And my other question is, what about the intellectual property that is produced? Will it be in the public domain or do you have to buy it or do they have to buy it or how does that all work? Well, the information we're collecting, uh, for example, bathymetry will be available to the public. Of course, many of the technologies that Victor is using and these other companies, uh, some of are proprietary, so we, we do not share those. But the point of the partnership is primarily is to capture data whether it be the nature of the seafloor, new marine species, and uh, other aspects of the oceans that the, these organizations are exploring in partnership with us. And will there be also sensor data, say data on conditions such as temperature or currents over time, where the data sets might be made available to scientists that could use them for whatever inquiries they might have going? Absolutely. That, that's it. So we mentioned Vulcan and Caladan. We also have Ocean X, uh, Ray Dalio's company, and he's got a very nice ship. The point of, of much of his research and outreach is to communicate that science to the public and get our public more interested in the ocean. And, of course, that's something we seek to do every day with our education and outreach efforts. So that's another win-win element of uh, these partnerships. And it looks like you're also looking at waters inland, dealing with Viking cruises and a lakes-going vessel. Tell us about that one. Right. Well, that's a really exciting partnership as well, and and I think very innovative. The primary partner there with Viking Cruise Lines is the Great Lakes Environmental Research Lab that NOAA operates. And that company will be putting a ship into the Great Lakes in 2022 and making uh, elements of the ship available for our scientists to conduct research, as well as uh, provide assets like small boats, to uh, conduct uh, surveys and sampling and perform long-term monitoring, which also is very important. So the ship will be traveling on a really regular route around the Great Lakes and capturing data in a very systematic fashion over time will allow us to learn much about the ecosystems, their changes, as well as the the physical uh, environment of the lake. Does that mean that the scientists will be doing their work alongside paying passengers who might be there for just a Great Lakes Cruise? That's right. And what's neat about that is, you know, the clientele of Viking, I think, are fairly well 
educated, and I think Vikings see as an opportunity in bringing science to their customers and and getting seeking their support. I mean, this is like I said, a very important part of what we do is securing interest uh, in the public for what how our oceans benefit them and and the Great Lakes as well. And there's really a number of really fascinating aspects. One area that the ship will travel to is the Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary, which is like an underwater national park. And this is in Thunder Bay uh, off Alpena, Michigan. And it, it preserves a large collection of shipwrecks. And so there's a maritime heritage and human history component that uh, we'll seek to preserve, promote, and share with the public. Uh, I've been scuba diving there myself. There's a great team that manages the sanctuary. And so there's just another aspect of how these partnerships will benefit uh, people in the region and nationally. No plans to raise the Edmund Fitzgerald? Uh, no, our, our goal is to preserve the wreck for future generations to study and learn from. Okay. And let's switch gears here a minute. And I'm just wondering how NOAA, which, as you point out, has a lot of outdoor activities, but also lots of scientists gathered at consoles within the offices. How are you faring during the pandemic and how is the agency operating? Well, that's a great question, Tom. And uh, we're actually doing quite well. Uh, like everybody, we've had to adapt. And so we have, a, you know, of our about 20,000 member workforce that includes around 7,000 plus contractors, uh, much of the, that team has moved to telework, while those that are, are unable that must do certain mission essential functions like operating our environmental satellites, like putting out weather forecasts and warnings from the National Weather Service, they are required largely to go work from their offices. Some are uh, teleworking. And, um, and they're performing superbly. We had our weather service issue a number of warnings, about 160 tornado warnings over the spring outbreak this last few weeks, and uh, kept saved a lot of lives. And so they haven't missed a beat. And then for our satellite service, for example, we had one employee who was able to detect an oil spill in Louisiana just off, offshore um, with our uh, satellite uh, data, and it's a mission that this office, the Satellite Analysis Branch, performs every day to detect wildfires and other hazards. And he was able to do this from his home and alert the Coast Guard to perform a cleanup, which might have taken weeks to notice since there's so little shipping traffic going on in the region. Uh, so yeah, there's successes everywhere. We're supporting the CDC with our weather and climate information. We're also providing important warnings and forecasts to medical personnel who, have, for example, had to set up tents outside as a screening facilities prior to going into hospitals. And then I think a really awesome success story was the fact that both USNS Comfort and USNS Mercy, when they deployed to New York and Los Angeles, they used both our weather information and new updated nautical charting information for where they went pierside to create a safe navigation zone uh, to protect those assets during their mission. Yeah, so lots going on. And I was going to say, with respect to the weather, you've got Louis Ussolini, and he is to weather, I guess, what Anthony Fauci is to germs. That is a great analogy, Tom. And you're right. Dr. Ussolini is the director of the National Weather Service, and he has just been superb keeping his team on step, on mission, and uh, again, uh, not letting this uh, get in the way of our important life-saving service to the public. And meanwhile, NOAA is preparing for, I guess, this fall is the 50th anniversary of the agency. And what do you have in mind and what can we look forward to? Well, yes, this is a great time for our agency and we are highlighting a, you know, five decades in, 
uh, being recognized officially as, as one common group. We have origins that date back to uh, 1807 with the Coast Survey, but uh, now as one unified team just dedicated to science, stewardship, and service, it's um, a nice time to reflect on all that we've done. So we have events planned around the country. Uh, of course, some of them were put on hold due to the pandemic. However, um, as we get back and reconstitute, we will continue plans to host various events and, and highlight uh, our history as well as where we're going moving forward, which uh, also is a wonderful story. And what about NOAA's relationship with the things that live in the ocean and swim around in there? One thing about the ocean exploration work we're doing with these organizations that uh, benefits significantly is our fisheries. So we manage fisheries around the country on every coastline, and they're very important economically as well as from a a food security and human health aspect. And even during this pandemic, we've been able to be creative and agile in managing fisheries and ensuring fishermen can stay on the water and do what they do. And a great recent event was the signing of a presidential executive order to advance American fisheries and the seafood industry, and it includes also aquaculture. That was just signed last week. And so, you know, we're not slowing down. We're, we're continuing our work. We're, we're getting good things done. And having that kind of support from the administration is, is really good for our country as we get back in business. And what about NOAA's use of emerging technologies, artificial intelligence? We mentioned the data gathering going on and also drones and unmanned vehicles in the water. Right. Well, this is a big focus area of ours. We've noticed over just the last decade an incredible advancement uh, in various emerging science and technology areas. And so uh, I have have the development of strategies for uh, several areas, including artificial intelligence, our use of unmanned systems or drones, a thing called we call omics, which is a suite of microbiological big data capabilities like uh, environmental DNA, genomics, and, and others, which are helping us to survey and understand ecosystems and fisheries in ways that are orders of magnitude less expensive and more capable than using a big ship. And then we also are advancing citizen science. Uh, We're developing a data strategy and a cloud computing strategy, all of which are allowing us to really transform the way we do every mission area uh, to make it be more accurate and more efficient. Because NOAA does have some considerable supercomputing capacity, and can that play well with commercial clouds? Exactly. We have a robust high-performance computing capability. However, the rapid exponential growth in data through the assets I mentioned, our ships, satellites, other, other partnerships, drones, is really outpacing our ability to use what we have. And so by partnering with the private sector, we've signed three agreements with commercial cloud providers to help us with this. And they love it because they really believe in our mission and then using, thinking about data as a strategic asset, they'll benefit by having access to our data and, and being able to share that further with the public. So it's a win-win meeting both of our interests. And as a former Navy officer, do you ever get out on the NOAA ships yourselves just to take a look at things and maybe get some salty air in your face? Oh, I can't resist, Tom. I do it every time I travel. Uh, I've been underway on at least one NOAA ship. I visited uh, at least 10 of the 16 And wherever we go, I at least try to get on a boat or go scuba diving, which I've done several times with NOAA NOAA divers, uh, scientific divers, mind you, who are also doing really important work to prevent or clean up marine debris, preserve coral reefs, and understand ecosystems and, and conserve them.
Retired Navy Rear Admiral Tim Gallaudet is Deputy Administrator of NOAA. Hey, thanks so much for joining me. It was great to be here, Tom. Thank you. We'll post this interview along with links to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.